The following podcast discusses alternative sexual practices in loving and detailed terms. As such, it may not be appropriate for young children, four out of nine members of the Supreme Court, HR representatives, or your grandmother. Although, I don't know your grandmother, and she may be more into this stuff than even you know. Listener discretion is advised. podcast of wholesome kink and perverted knitting. I'm Sir Arcane. And I'm Lansing Mike. This is our first episode, so no guest this time, but we're going to try and do this podcast thing like all the cool kids are doing. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say cool, but everyone's doing it, so that's fine. Yeah, it, it <laughs> seems like there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I figured, why not add another one into the mix? Before we get started, I do want to say that this episode of A Hairy Prone Companion is brought to you by the Esquire Bar in Old Town Lansing, one block north of Grand River on Turner Street. Mention that you heard this ad on A Hairy Prone Companion and receive a free confused look. This this is not a sanctioned sponsorship. (laughs) It's just a thing. We're explaining a business that we like to frequent. Yes, we, we highly recommend the Esquire Bar if you are gay, even if you're not kinky, but if you're gay and in the greater Lansing area, we recommend the Esquire, unless you have a thing for 90-pound, 21-year-olds. Which is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, that's perfectly But you're within walking distance of them at the Esquire. Uh, Yeah, I would say Esquire is the closest thing we really have to a leather bar in Lansing. Well, this being the first episode, I did want to do... Some explanation of who we are and some introductions. Yeah, I'm Sir Arcane. I have been knitting for, I want to say, about seven years. And I've been kinky for about 20 years. I'm very lucky. My family was one of the early adopters of the internet. So in 1992, we got CompuServe. (laughs) Ooh, CompuServe. Uh, you know, dial-up modems and, and all that fun stuff. And about a year after that, CompuServe got news groups, which n- news groups don't really exist too much anymore. But on those news groups, I found filthy stories and found, oh, there's a lot of ways you can have fun with your body. That looks like fun. I want to try that. I want to try that. I'd like to try that. And in the past 20 years, I've tried practically everything, and I go back for more. It's a, life is a banquet, and most pool, poor fools are starving to death. <laughs> I love that quote and use it often. Yes. In my kink experience, I, I was active in the Detroit kink scene in the late 90s. Then I moved away for a job, and then I accepted the offer to become a boy for a couple in Flint, and I was with them for 10 wonderful years and got to explore my kink there. And one of them taught me how to crochet. And from crochet, I taught myself how to knit from YouTube and actually got him knitting as well uh, because he had just crocheted before. And We taught each other how to be more crafty, and in addition to knitting and crochet, he's also into cross-stitch and um, embroidery and collectible plates. Okay. And hot, kinky sex. So... (laughs) I see a lot of crossover. I think there's a lot of things you can do with knitting and the embroidery. Don't know what you can do with the plates, but I'm sure there's something out there. Well... (laughs) You know, for for some people, looking at those collectible plates is its own form of torture. But So, yeah, I thought I'd take two of the things I'd love, slam them together, and I've got a podcast. Cool. 
Mike, tell the world about yourself. Um, what's mine? Uh, I would say that, well, my interest is more, I'm fascinated by podcasts, listened to a lot, and thought, oh, and I heard your call for, hey, I'm going to throw together a podcast. And I'm like, most of the stuff he's talking about, I'm aware of, and dabble in, and I'm curious. <laughs> and also, I like to talk. That's helpful. My own kink, I can't even say on many profiles, like, Kind of the kinkiest thing about me is the fact that I'm a guy and to other guys. I'm kink friendly and also kink curious. I um, haven't really hit any buttons that are like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I haven't found that yet, but again, haven't explored extensively either. But uh, I've been involved in the kink community in Lansing. At least uh, I go to a lot of munches. Mm-hmm. You know, the gather, you know, the kind of the public vanilla gatherings to, you know, met a lot of the Lansing people. There's some really good people and. It's fun to hang out with them. I've been to a play party that they hosted once. Um, the only reason I've only been to one is scheduling. It's like, who has the time? I Things pop up. So I've only been to one, and it was a cool experience. I pretty much watched and did not participate because it's a learning experience, and I'm all about trying to learn. Again, I've been to IML a couple, oh, yes, twice. Um, one time volunteering there, that's the way to do it. I, I think if you're going to go to IML and you have the time, Volunteer, you meet lots of cool people, and there's some nice perks. Kind of a kink tourist in a way, you know? Now, the knitting uh, happened because of a store that was here in Lansing called Threadbare. It was on Waverly, owned by a bear couple. Incredible selection of yarns and a really wonderful staff that were very knowledgeable, and they had classes. I'm like, I'm curious. So went there and learned the basics of knitting, and on and off with that, I... Start a project and then I get busy and forget. And right now I have a good portion of a, oh, at least a third of a Tom Baker Doctor Who scarf in a bag that really needs to be done. (laughs) Well, then I hope that this podcast encourages you and our listeners Mm -hmm. to pick up that project that's been sitting dormant. I've got one project that I'm working on that is a crocheted reusable shopping bag. Oh. I'm not entirely happy with it. It might be that the yarn that I'm using is too light of a weight. Mm -hmm. And so the bag is feeling much smaller than it should be. I'm going to reserve judgment on the actual size until I'm completely done with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, worst case, it ends up being just a, a little bag for shopping. And... If it ends up being too small, well, I, let's hear. 86 with that weight of yarn, maybe I'll I- increase it by half and get a bigger bag. Also, my job picks a charity each month. This month is the, the local Humane Society. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember their exact name. And we're collecting things rather than money for them. And one of the things that they are looking for is knit or crocheted blankets and they're asking for 20 inches by 28 inches so once i finish the bag i will start in on that okay and you know it's going to be you know dead simple it's just a block but i i say that because i'm sure that our local animal shelter is not the only one who needs these blankets so if our listeners are looking for a, another project to do and they, they want to help out the, the cute, itty-bitty little animals, uh, aren't they just so cute? And not just animals. You know, um, I think it was the fire department or someone locally had asked for uh, basically knitted bears or crocheted bears that they would hand out to a traumatized child that whose mm-hmm. house and possessions might be going up in smoke right then and and just like, you know, for, so, I mean, there's always that there's, I've seen, you know, charities. Yeah. There's always a charity out there that needs handmade products and it's can be a wonderful way of contributing. I mentioned that again, because it is so easy. It's a good starter project, mm-hmm. just a way to get wider and taller and yeah, 20, 20 by 20 is a, a pretty good size for for knitting. And also, you know, it might not even cost anything because how many people have that extra yarn around that will not oh, yeah. do a full project, but you don't want to waste it. There you go. It, yes. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a ball of scrap yarn that I, I don't think I'd be able to get 20 out of 28, mm-hmm. 20 by 28 out of here. And that's another great thing about knitting and crochet 
it can be a really inexpensive hobby. Most of the yarn that is currently sitting in my yarn bag, I got at yard sales. Mm -hmm. People who, you know, picked it up and probably saw a few projects. Perfect perfect project and it's like, this will be great. And there's only so many hours in the day or hours in a lifetime. And it's easy to collect boxes or a room full of yarn that will then be orphaned when you're like, I realize I don't have the time. (laughs) Something like stash exceeds life expectancy. Yeah, there's there's some piece of terminology there that it's a a funny four letter acronym, but I, I don't. I'm blanking out, which, yeah, you'll find me doing that a lot. My, I've got a memory like a, like, like a sieve. <laughs> I always jokingly say that I have a goldfish memory because I guess that's even apocryphal that goldfish only remember a few seconds. And it's like, yeah, it makes sense because how would they even function? They still have to do things, goldfish things. Did you want to explain what? The, the nature of the show is, or the our topic. I mean, they'll know probably... Well, right. I don't know, yeah. Wherever they find us, how much of a description there was. Well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go into a bit more of a description. This show is a hairy-prone companion. Yeah, we'll be talking about kink and leather and the leather community, specifically the gay leather community, um, and also crafting sorts of things, knitting, crochet, other yarn arts... I'm looking to have guests show up on on later episodes. I thought it would be a bit much on the first episode to do that because, you know, I, you guys should get to know us first before we throw in additional voices, you know, learn learn what we sound like so you know who's talking. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a guy who's into latex and making his own lace. Some pups and some... That's one thing I've noticed with at least the Lansing community. I mean, there's an offshoot of uh, the Munches that is a a crafting night, you know. And so many people were showing up at Munches with projects and talking about it that, hey, we'll have a kind of a side munch that is like, bring your projects. We will be in a restaurant in a side room knitting and doing whatever. And so, yeah, so it's... There's, I think, can be a lot to it, especially in the kink community. There's a lot of not just buying things off a rack. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to picture anyone I know who uses a flogger that was not either made by themselves or someone they knew. Yeah, the, the only person I know of like that has floggers that, that they have purchased, mm-hmm. but they also have a huge collection. And some of the floggers they've made or, or they know who made them Mistress Lily just has this amazing collection of impact toys, mm-hmm. and I've, I've learned technique from her too. <laughs> she she taught at Icon Leather Night down in Detroit, and that's something I've noticed about that is kind of a crossover between the crafting community and the kink community. Is there's people who want to teach and show. I mean, they tend to be mm-hmm. very like, hey, I know this technique with yarn. I know this technique with you know impact play. Let me tell you. Let me show it to you. Especially I've heard uh, with rope work. It's like there's, you know, a certain knot, a certain way of tying someone. It's like, oh, this is a way of doing this. And it's like it gets very, you know, people like to show and teach. And I think it's a very sharing culture. Both, yeah, I think that's a huge overlap just in the the communities. It's like, yeah, I've found that these communities, both, yeah, knitting and, and kink, it's very supportive. It's you'll you'll find some people who have their nose stuck up in the air and their their head up their own ass that oh you're new you're not real I'm like then you well, said for, to... forget you come sit stay a while and listen because I can understand some people like I don't want to have to train because some people their talents aren't in training you know they just want to do right and so I can understand that and some. People like the whole, yeah, the thing of, oh, I can't show you this because, you know, it's a trade secret. And it's like, well, pretty much anything you do and put out there, people are going to figure out how to do it. (laughs) So, yeah. And I have found myself teaching, I mean, even teaching the basics to people who have been in this scene for a while, but they are stretching and they're exploring something new. 
Oh, there's always something new to learn. Yeah, something new that's been developed, something out there that, you know, is, yes. <laughs> With my 20 years experience and the fact that, you know, I've been open to anything, I find that I have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience that I can share with people, and you know, this podcast is one way to spread this knowledge out more. Um, That's what I love about podcasts, because it's, again, it's similar to the, those two communities. It's kind of a do-it-yourself movement of, hey, we have a nice recorder, we know how to edit, you can make something, put it out there. How long ago would it be something like this it could only happen if you had a radio station behind you? Oh yeah, you know, and it's like you might find some public access station that's willing to, you know, have some weird stuff out there. But no, nowadays it's like you just, you know, it's like zines, put it together, throw it out there, do it just to do it. Yeah, I I could kind of sort of imagine this show in the late '80s in Chicago at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. on the public access station, maybe taking calls. But it'd have to be a, you know, yeah, I think I'm. Major-ish metropolitan area. That's the... Yeah. I don't see this... Yeah, I, I couldn't see this being done in Lansing public access, mm-hmm. even. Or, you know, not even the size of Detroit. It, New York, L.A., Chicago. But now... A- Amsterdam. Yeah. But, well, but now the yeah. internet has basically shrunk the world down to one large city. You know? Yeah. All, all sections of the world are basically a suburb of Earth. <laughs> Reach out and touch someone. <laughs> oh, it's easy. The technology is there. And, and no matter what you're into or what fascinates you, there will be other people out there. You just have to, you know, geographic distance is no longer an issue. It's You can be on there. Time zones can be a thing. You know, if you really want to talk to someone about something on the other side of the world, got to remember, middle of the night for them, middle of the day for you. <laughs> you know, that's why we have lovely asynchronous communication, email and and podcast, but oh, mm-hmm. yeah. email and text message and the understanding that, yeah, probably not going to get a message back right away, but yeah, that's to be expected. Or text. I love text. I think texts are, it's to me, the perfect form of communication. You compose it. You could put it out there. It take, They take it when they need to and respond to you. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of something or, you know, phone calls are like kind of invasive. It's like, oh, I want to talk to you. It's like. I might be in the middle of something and can't talk back. <laughs> yeah. I used to work at home and even when I was right there and my husband was there, he would still text me because, you know, I really wasn't there. I, I was effectively at the office and I got him trained on doing that. And it's now his preferred mode of communication. And he also understands that he's not going to get back right away. <laughs> With my current position, they're a little a lot paranoid about information security so I cannot have my phone at my workstation I I have to have it in my locker he understands that if he sends a text message it could be up to two hours Mm -hmm. before he hears from me I've got my break and I've got my lunch and I always check my messages there because I'm up and away from the workstation. Well, it's nice that he understands because that's one thing I've noticed, uh, especially on online communications, uh, sites and that. There's some people who just have no concept of other people having lives and different schedules because, oh, I remember this whole, you know, multiple series of messages from someone who was like, hey, how's it going? And it's like, oh, I see you're, you know, you're too stuck up, busy, whatever, you know, however they want to attack you. It's like, oh, to talk to me. And it's like, oh, well, and I just remember this young person who had, like, said, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, looked at his profile and thought, you know, this is someone I actually want to talk to. They seem seem interesting. Um, I don't have time to, you know, throw a whole paragraph back at them. So, oh, my gosh, waited a day too long. And they're like, oh, I see. You think you're too good for me? Or it was all this stuff. And I was like, and then they got a paragraph back from me. I was like, no, actually, I thought this might mean something. So I was like, you know, didn't want to just throw back a quick thing. And it would have been interesting. But no, you've just proven, shown me that <laughs> this was not going to work out. And also you gave me, he also had even asked me some very actual real questions. And I was like, I really want to think of real responses to this, not just something flipped. Also, there were some things he asked me that I'm like, oh, by your profile, I'm pretty sure I know how you want me to answer these. 
I don't think we agree on certain things. I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying that. Well, once he, you know, you know, his his rudeness level, I'm like, okay, I don't have to have the the gloves on. I can tell him, you know what, this thing that you really love, I think is stupid. <laughs> I didn't say it that way. I said, I just don't like that thing. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's like, oh, well, thanks for being honest. And it's like, you're welcome. <laughs> and no. And now I see him on a bunch of other sites, Grinder and Sundries. And it's like, oh, no. Not meant to be. Yeah. There's something to be said for, I try not to be ageist. And I'm like, oh, someone's way too young. or so, But there's maturity levels. There, There is. And I will send a lot of stuff out into the net. Mm-hmm. Ju- but... The initial contact is always at the level of, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. Right? And that is really an invitation to take a look at my profile. Mm-hmm. And if you like what you see and you get back to me, great, we'll have a conversation. If you don't like what you see, you know, I'm used to not getting responses back from a good chunk of the hi, how are you's I send mm-hmm. out into the universe. I get that. I understand that. I am not everybody's cup of tea. Sometimes I'm a, just a great big old mug of coffee. But those who respond, I have a wonderful conversation with. Nine times out of ten, we end up having a good time. Yeah, I, I try to always, if someone pings me, I always try to respond. Because I do, again, I, I don't take it too personally when someone doesn't respond back. Again, some profiles you see that. It's like, oh, we could have the decency to respond back. or But then other profiles you see, if I'm not interested, you probably won't hear back. And it's like they're putting it right out there. So I'm kind of a farb in that way. Far be it for me to, people can be busy. Um, but personally, I do like to respond. And uh, But that trouble with that is then someone takes that response as, oh, they're interested too. And it's like, okay, well, I, I still haven't found that really polite way of saying thanks, but no thanks. I don't take rejection well, so I hate giving it out. And as such, some conversations have gone on too long and yeah i have to be less of a wimp and just say you're a lovely person but oh i'd never use that cliche of it's not you it's me (laughs) i find that direct Mm -hmm. and to the point is the most effective Mm -hmm. i've run across some people that have turned out to be a little crazy a little more crazy than i feel comfortable playing Mm -hmm. with and I just say, I don't think this is going to work out. I don't think we should meet. Thank you for the conversation, though. Mm-hmm. And then move on. You know, oh, I, that's it, too. I mean, there's there's being, you know, polite. And like I said, even if I'm not really attracted to you, I'm more than willing to have conversations because physical is one aspect, but there's also intellectual, emotional, and you might hit on those points. And when you don't hit on any of those points, then it's like, okay, it's like, I'll resort to the one-word responses back, which I always assume means the end of the conversation. So, word of advice, if you're chatting with people online and you're responding to them with one-words or yups or "Mm mm-hmm, nice, I think it's safe to assume that they're going to think that you're done with it and just too polite to say, block. If that's not the case, then use sentences back to them, please. (laughs) And I've had different levels of luck based on the site. Personally, I found Recon gets results. Mm. That the people that I find on Recon are the real deal. Alternately, as a complete lark, I posted an ad on Craigslist saying, Dominant male, want to do it tonight. Flake out at your own risk. And Mm -hmm. I'll have to look up that ad. And I got three responses back, and they all flaked out. Once I effectively reached it. Because part of the ad was, I'm not going to be a cyber jack off hmm. for you. I am not going to tell you in loving detail what I would do to you. I'll give you a general sense. But if you want the details, no, we're going hmm. to do this. We're not going to talk about this it. Is, this is the you know yeah opening salvo of like, hey, we're going to chat. Get that base level of like, oh... <laughs> are they, is this a crazy person or not? It's like, okay, they seem pretty sane. Let's meet. Yeah. that's To me, that's what online is about. It's get that initial thing. You have a profile. There's some, you can kind of check people out first a little bit. Oh, might we, might we match? Yeah. Might we not? And then you have, do a little bit of chatting just to see, okay, 
are my warning flags going off? <laughs> and it's like, no, then hey, coffee. And yeah, I find a lot of people, you know, it's like, hey, you said you like me. I said I like you. We woofed at each other, whatever the site does. And it's like, we've shown interest. We've chatted a little bit. That went well too. Let's meet for coffee. And then crickets. I'm like, what? Why? You don't understand. This is the tool for meeting in person and doing stuff in person. But I have to admit, I do know people who, I know someone who maintains two sites. I mean, two profiles on the same site. One is him with his real picture, his real information. The other is just this fantasy, he stole a picture, made a fake name, and that's his cyber persona. And he'll go online and chat up guys who are in other cities for cyber sex. I'm like... And the thing is, he, he seems to want it, and obviously there's people out there who do want that, who don't want to be bothered with, you know, because, yeah, actually meeting in person can be messy. Let's yeah. talk, you know, getting, and then there's always, you know, I don't get that appeal myself. No, me either. I don't find cyber sex fulfilling. Mm-hmm. There was one time when I found it fulfilling, and that was with somebody who I already knew, and we already had a connection. Mm-hmm. And we were physically separated by seven time zones. Mm. And because we already had that intense physical mm-hmm. connection... So you had been together physically? We had been okay. together physically. And he had to move away. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I understand cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because it's a continuation and a reinforcement of the existing relationship. I get that. I got it. I can work with that. But, you know, just to chat back and forth, and I'd rather watch porn. <laughs> I'd rather have... It's yeah. somewhere between, I think it's somewhere between. It's, it's a level up from porn because there is actual interaction. But then, you know, some people don't want that full... I mean, if you're of an age, you know sex was pretty scary and dangerous from a health-wise. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there's slip-ups even, you know, when you're, you know what it is to be safe and... And even not life-threatening stuff. There's always just things. It's like, oh, I got a thing, and now I have to go to a doctor and, and get a thing for that thing. Or, oh, I have to go to the drugstore and get a thing for that thing. It's like, not life-threatening, more annoyance than anything else. But still, sometimes the societal conditioning telling you sex is wrong comes in as like, oh, I'm dirty, unclean, leper. Oh, no. And it's like, ah. Like, and on cyber, you don't get that. Except I know someone who destroyed a computer via porn because... He was going to sites, and it's basically kind of the, hey, let's go to the sites, download porn. It was kind of like barebacking strangers kind of thing. And it's like, and the computer was, oh, oh, a lost cause. That poor computer. <laughs> well, we might be able to save the hardware if we install Ubuntu on it. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Scrape it all, and then just start again. <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah, f- physically the computer is fine, but the software is toast. Well, a lot of things kink. There's a lot of things I've tried kink-wise that I know other people who just love it. And I've seen people like, you know, in a demo, melting during knife play. And it's just like, uh, but not my thing. You know, so, but I can still understand their attraction to it. Yeah, knife play itself, no, not not so much. But I think that's a wonderful thing I've seen with the kink community is that even if it's not your thing... If you can understand how it's someone else's, then you can at least, it's like, hey, more power to you. Enjoy. Yeah. Which I see in the the more vanilla world, yeah, a lot of like, oh, that's weird. And therefore, there's this feeling that it's wrong. Maybe no one should be doing it because it's weird and it's not my thing, so other people shouldn't do it. I'm like, no. Ah. (laughs) This makes me uncomfortable, therefore you shouldn't do it. Yeah. (laughs) What? No. This makes me uncomfortable, therefore I don't do it. Okay, that I can understand. but And that's why I think, and also just that core thing that I like about the king community is a lot more comfortable, I think, with themselves. Comfortable about sex itself. They're not as hung up on stuff. Yes, you can still find people who have major issues, but a lot more people have thought about their issues and have dealt with them, or at least are aware of them. Which I think, you know, non-king communities like, oh no, we don't think about that. And it's like, well then how are you getting deal with that or get better with that it's like turn it off it's like oh gosh deny 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 the only sex that is 
good and wholesome is with your wife in the missionary position for the express purpose of making babies. And even then, you shouldn't probably enjoy it, because that's probably wrong. Especially the woman shouldn't enjoy it. The man, yeah, he has to have an orgasm, but female orgasm? No, that's just a myth. Well, as long as the guy feels suitably dirty and guilty afterwards, then, you know, that probably balances out. Right. But yeah, like I said, I oh, I just no patience for that, and so that's why I love, you know, hanging around kinksters and all that. It's like oh, and or any you know uh, sub community like the leather or you know the pups, all that. They seem to be a lot more in touch with themselves sexually, and might have hangups otherwise. But I don't find as many sexual hangups. Well, speaking of hangups, I've noticed in the pan and the straight kink community. Mm-hmm. That there is a level of, I want to say paranoia, that you don't see in gay kink. That with straight kink and with pansexual kink, I've seen a need, more of a need to vet people before. More concerned like, oh, if people find out about this, I'm in so much trouble. I'll I'll lose my job, I'll lose my kids. The neighbors will... You know, scans. Where with the gay community, and I wish I could claim full credit for this quote, but I can't. You're going to hate me because I'm a faggot. Who cares what I'm wearing? Mm. Well, I think because maybe the the gay community has been through this. We've had our... We're we're incredibly discreet, closeted, and also terrified of being found out. Because you could lose your children, your job. All these things that, you know, the, the straight kinksters are worried about. We knew that was a possibility, and we would be... Right. Afraid. And then things changed, and gay liberation, and suddenly it became a political thing to be out and to start claiming it. It's like, no, we're you know just like anyone else. And so once I think we got through that, it's in our mindset. It's like, okay, you've accepted that. We understand that. We are not going to hide other things. Some straight kinksters, yeah, it's still that thought of... Oh, this is weird and subversive and wrong, and and also look at you know the displays of it in public you know consumption. I mean, now we do have you know once upon a time gay characters were always just the comic relief or the tragic figure who could be gay but needs to die at the end of the film, or at least be wasting away from a disease, and those are acceptable. Whereas now it's like nope, you see gay characters very casually and all sorts, effeminate, masculine, and it was like oh. It's a thing now. Whereas kink stuff is still kind of a punchline in society. It's like, oh, or this is a way to show, you know, something so weird. Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, oh. Well, that is problematic because, yeah, some of the best... I mean, I have not read it myself, but I do know people in the kink community who read it. It's like, okay, what is, you know, what is this? And they realize, no, this isn't... This is not the bondage community. This is actually... This this is is abuse. abuse. Yeah. (laughs) This is abuse wrapped up in... Given the sheen of BDSM and... Yeah. And became popular. I mean, well, it it was one of those cultural phenomenons where it's like... People were reading it. And it's like, you know, whether or not, you know, good or not, people were curious, I think. And hopefully, I'm hoping it led some people to like, you know, they thought about it. It's like, oh, is that what it is? And then they looked into it further. So, you know, hopefully it made some people, well, when, you know, there's people reading on the subway. It's like, hopefully it made it a bit more something you can talk about. And then I think it also got, you know, a lot of the people who are actually in the community to come out and say, hey, let's talk about what it really is. You've seen the stereotype. You've seen... The Hollywood version of it, this is what it really is. You've seen kink written by somebody who has never done anything kinky in their life. Oh, yeah, and it's based on Twilight fanfic. Yeah. As if that that isn't enough by itself. I remember, like, Target was selling Fifty Shades of Grey lube, Fifty Shades of Grey fuzzy handcuffs, Mm -hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey blindfolds, and I'm like, Really? Really. But, you know, yeah, but it's one of those things that, you know, as a community or a subgroup becomes aware and accepted, society is going to kind of co-opt it and, like, have their idea of what it is and try and make money off of it. (laughs) (sighs) And with any luck, like I said, the ideal thing is it becomes just a blase. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, some people like to tie each other up. Okay, it's a thing. And then it's not quite the dirty secret. It's like, oh, it's a quirk. 
I mean, that will be the, the wonderful time, you know, when gays are finally accepted is where gay is considered a quirk and no more important than eye color or that. But, you know, there's, you know, with the community, the king community, there's still this concept of, oh, people are beating on each other and that, that can't be good. And it's like, oh, honey, the levels of consent and discussion that I hear to make a scene happen or hear, you know, it's like, no, 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 they're aware. And then, you know, this is not just like, I'm going to dominate someone and take them over. It's like, no, they're, you know, so much more self-knowledge and communication that I think happens. Yeah. You know, porn gives these unrealistic expectations. For 10 years, I was the boy Mm -hmm. of this couple. But I also worked outside the house. I had my own bank account. I had my own car. I wasn't this owned piece of property. And that's, unless everybody involved is independently wealthy... That's not going to happen. And I've seen the ads on Recon. I want to be a 24-7 slave. I'm like, that's a lovely dream to have. It ain't going to happen. Not not unless you win the lottery. And it's interesting, too, someone who's... That's a whole level, too. What, you know, what is the mindset of someone like that? But I can understand because making your own decisions can be... It's scary in a way. So it's someone saying, I want someone else to help make those hard choices for me. You know, or I want to be, I want to be protected. I want to be, not have to deal with stuff. Let the sir or the dom or the master deal with it. I will serve them and it makes it a bit more, you know, a, a big wide world, maybe a bit more focused. But the thing I'm amused by is the ads the other way. That complete, you know, I need a subservient, you know, one who will give me, you know, I, you'll work, but you'll give me your paycheck and then, then you'll serve me. And, and oh, and this, and I'm like, wait, you're... A 24-year-old working at a convenience store. No, I think you need some chops before you are going to have someone's entire life in your hands. Right, and not to say that one can't be dominant, Mm -hmm. can't be top, can't have that energy at 24. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't come into my top energy until I was in my mid-30s. And when it happened, it was one hell of a surprise. But I've also seen young dominance and there has been this meme floating around the gay leather community that if you're young you're a bottom and if you're older you're a top which kind of goes against medical reality but also i think maturity levels i I think one thing that yeah i would be a dominant or top have they'd be i think they should be pretty mature and know you know have some life life experiences behind them that but there are some young people who do yeah i think you know i met 21 year olds who pretty much knew what they wanted out of life and were very sensible about going for that and you know and i've known people who have been in their late 30s who are just like hey life's a party i'm used to whatever i want and it's like so yeah maturity levels and i mean that's the true i also have the stereotypes and that you know i talk about oh the horror you know jerkiness of ageism but yeah me seeing that ad from you know a 20 something guy who I had the stereotype is like, I don't think he's experienced that much. So how can he really take care of someone when he himself is just a child? But then, yeah, I do have that thing where, you know, at my age, anyone under 30 is a child. <laughs> it's like, that's a wrong attitude too. But, yeah. but I guess that's also in response to seeing all those ads online. It's like, oh, if you're over 30, gross. Why are you even looking at my profile? Yeah, no fats, no femmes, no one over 30. I'm like, really, queen? Well, I love that, too, because it's a command telling me to be this. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you try and tell me what to be? It's like saying, hey, this is what I'm attracted to. But the way they always put a lot of it, it's a command. Don't you be this. I'm like, uh... Oh, oh, yeah. And then we'll add on, I'm clean, you be too. Drug and disease freeze, 420 friendly. Wait, what? <laughs> Weed is still a drug, kids. Oh, oh yeah, that could probably be a whole episode, too, of just like... What we see online. Oh, yeah. Online profile horror stories. Just flip through recon. You know, not naming any names, of course, because we don't want to name and shame. We just want to shame. I want to play with a 21-year-old who has a fully equipped dungeon. Probably not. Probably doesn't If there is a 21-year-old with a fully equipped dungeon, I'm sure they have a very full dance card. And, hey, get to know them and... Maybe you'll have a chance. I think that's the other trouble of online. We do, we have these 
our fantasies and we put them out there and like, oh, I hope this exists. And it's like, it must exist because there's so many people out there. I'm in touch with so many, there's so many people on the site. Someone has to match these qualifications. I was like, you've maybe made it too high. It can also be the Ashley Madison effect. Mm -hmm. The Ashley Madison website had five million men on there and one million female accounts. Mm -hmm. Statistician ran the numbers and they figured about 3,000 of those were real. The fully stocked dungeon thing is one of the reasons why I really enjoy going to the Detroit Bondage Club monthly parties because they have not just a fully stocked dungeon, a fully stocked house. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have 50 people playing there and still have plenty of elbow room. And they've got the big tour. I mean, they've got a great big St. Andrew's Cross. They've got several slings. They have all of these great great big installation pieces that me living in a 555 square foot apartment I ain't got the room for it it's like the gym you know um, yes it's you there's a or place that's made has all these wonderful toys and you can either have a membership or go there occasionally to use them all to have a fully stocked gym in your house it's like well some people do but uh, yes you have to have a lot of money and space. Yeah, and you know, and you still have, you not use it to how much it costs you. You're not going to make that much use of it <laughs> unless you turn your house into a gym and invite a whole bunch of people over to use it. It's like no. So, but yeah, I mean, dungeon. I think you always have a, a few pieces and a few things that you make and do. And if you have a nice basement or rooms that you can make, cool. Um, if you got to make use of it, but if not, you know, if it's not. A 24-7 thing, if it's like something I want to do every so often, yes, I think an organization or a thing like that is wonderful. And they charge 20 bucks at the mm -hmm. door, and I pay it gladly mm -hmm. because they got to pay the mortgage on mm -hmm. the place. They got to heat it in the winter, cool it in the summer. I and... want it warm in the winter because, oh, oh my gosh, yes. there's probably a lot of flesh. And, oh my gosh chilly i'm getting chills just now thinking of <laughs> yeah yeah and the furnace there works quite mm -hmm. well and i i am very thankful for that and they also provide snacks and non-alcoholic beverages or those moments when you need a break you, you need a rest yes. quick break and then we're going to shift gears because i want to talk a bit more about a crochet technique this section of A Hairy Prone Companion is brought to you by the Liquid Silicone Awareness Council, who reminds you, if you smoke after sex, use more lube. And we're back. Now, you told me previously that you have trouble with crochet. Oh, my dirty secret's coming out. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that I think part of it is crochet, especially when you start, your initial chain has to be quite loose otherwise you'll never get that start going and you've said that when you knit you like to make it look oh, like it's a machine i get so tight with it that yeah it's like oh everything looks uniform and it's like yes i ache after i've knitted for a while and, and you probably use like what number one needles no i try and use i try and gauge coil because you know you want your certain gauge so you know you have to plan accordingly and i think i have to use larger needles to get that gauge because I will be so tight. But I also like learning to loosen up and you know, just take it more casually. Okay. So, also, drink. Drinking while knitting. I mean, yes. Red wine and knitting go well together. Think, that's what I've been told by instructors. Like, just just take a, take a wine break. And it's like, okay. And then you relax. <laughs> I learned this technique for crochet when I was building a Mobius scarf. What it's called is a double crochet foundation. And this allows you to build out a foundation without having to have a really long chain. Or have a chain, well, you, you do start with a chain. You chain four okay. to start, which it's really, really easy, really simple to do. And I'm actually showing Mike while I'm explaining this to our podcast listeners and on our Twitter account uh, at Harry Prone Comp, I will include a link to a YouTube video of 
somebody actually doing this, or you can Google Double Crochet Foundation. It's a standard technique. Anyway, oh, yeah, YouTube is such a godsend on so many things. It's like something basic that I forgot, like casting on. I've taken such a long break from knitting that I forgot how to cast on. I'm like, how does this work again? And yep, YouTube video later is like, okay, that's how it goes. Yes. <laughs> okay. To build the double crochet foundation, first thing you do is you chain four, like you would off mm-hmm. to start a new row of double crochet. Yarn over, stick the hook through the first chain, yarn over again, and pull through. So we're still basically working a double crochet. But then, if you were to do a normal double crochet, at this point you'd yarn over and pull through both loops. Mm-hmm. What you do to build the foundation is you just pull through one. You're effectively chaining one at that point, and then you go through and you complete the double crochet. In theory, if I can get my crochet hook and my waist yarn to work. Then, and you may have to look kind of close, you'll see that there is kind of this loop here. This was made by the chain that you, the extra chain that you made. Mm -hmm. So this is where you put your hook through for the next double crochet. We yarn over, we find this larger loop, stick through, it's like I haven't been doing this for a while, and then, yeah, chain one, and then complete the double crochet. And then you'll see that we are now building out mm-hmm. sideways, effectively. And you just keep working through, you have to do a little finagling at least the way I do it, to get that extra chain exposed. But that effectively builds you your first row of crochets without having to do the chain initially. And this is really good for the Mobius technique because you will also have gaps in between each double where you can go through and build another crochet off of there. And then if I chain, I'll go ahead and chain three here. One, two, three, and flip. So then we treat it like we would any other crochet. And that's where you go through this top loop here. And I forgot to yarn over, but that's where you do it. And then you just crochet back and forth and you don't have to worry about having to deal with that initial tight mm-hmm. chain. And this is much easier to count. I know that when I do my chain, I end up having to count it five times. With this, it's very obvious how many you've done. It's much easier to count the double crochet than it is to count the chain. And you'll be able to get your work done much more effectively. I like that I use it either as a double crochet cast on, Mm -hmm. or a double crochet foundation, or uh, a single crochet foundation, depending on what the first row ends up being. And with a, a single crochet foundation, it's the same idea, except you don't yarn over to start. You just, you know, with the one loop on the hook, put through, pull one through, you now have two loops on, chain one, and then crochet the two together and repeat your way down the chain. I find that, yeah, it's more compact, but because it's so much more compact, I find it more difficult to find the chain part of that single crochet. Plus, normally when I'm crocheting, I tend to do double crochet anyway, rather than single. My mind just works that that's how it should be done. (laughs) That... I like having that extra yarn over each time. I find that builds faster. There's a technique that I wanted to share with Mike and and with our listeners so that they can go out and make things. Go out and make things. And especially if you've got that hard time starting. And I found that the cast on and that foundation chain can be the hardest part. That's the part I never got past. And it's a sticking point for a lot of people. And being able to get past that initial step, Mm -hmm. then you're just able to go. The second hardest part of knitting, I find, is the cast off Mm. to finish up the work. With crochet, you don't have that problem because you're only holding one loop. 
So you pull the yarn through and tie off, and you're done. And then you just weave in the ends like you would on a knit project. So what? Uh, speaking of projects, is there what project are you presently on? I am presently working on the shopping bag. Okay. Uh, and I will probably, yeah, once I've got that completed, I'm probably going to make another one larger. Because even when I first did it, it, it works from the top down mm-hmm. rather than the bottom up. Once I connected the initial chain and I looked at it, I'm like, this is kind of small for a shopping bag. I can see it for going to the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I can see it for going to the drugstore. I can see it for going to the party store. But I don't think this would work at the grocery store. I'm going to make myself a bigger one of those. And I'm also probably going to make uh, a blanket or two for the month of November for the puppies. Because we love the puppies. And I am going to drop it in the donation box at work because I know if I go to the animal shelter to drop off... I will leave with something. And my lease doesn't technically allow dogs, so that that would be a bad thing. And it wouldn't be a cat because I'm violently allergic to cat. Oh. Yeah. Which is not not fun. Yeah. No, because I mean, not only does it mean if you like cats, then you can never have a cat. But also you have to watch out because a lot of people have cats, so kind of limits maybe some places you know, friends' houses that you can hang out at. It has gotten better. There was a time where I ended up needing a dose of albuterol. That was for, it was a cast party for Rocky Horror. It was in an apartment that had three cats, and I was the only person in the cast who didn't smoke. (laughs) So we had a lot of smoke and a lot of cat in a small place, and I was just, I could not get a full breath of air. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so I kind of wheezed my way to urgent care and they're like uh here breathe in on this wow that's amazing what is it albuterol oh okay cool can i have some more can i take some home with me (laughs) well but since then i found that if i know i'm going to be somewhere that has a cat Mm -hmm. i just take an allegra 30 minutes before and i'm good to go and yeah that makes life good and your project is the... The scarf. It the, is a scarf. Yep. Now, there are several versions of the Tom Baker scarf I've seen. Which version are you working on? Because to do this, I wanted to say, okay, what colors are there? There must be patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you Google patterns and you find... Well, it opens up the whole, I think, scarf wars. Uh, because there's people like, oh, it was done like this and done like this. And here's a photograph from this episode that shows the edging was like done this. And it's like, no, that was the stuntman scarf. And... It was very amusing and very enlightening to see just that. I experimented with uh, the edging work to figure out which one I thought looked better. It's like, eh, authenticity. But I found colors that matched. I went, I think it's like season 13. Because they also showed the whole lifespan of the scarf. Mm -hmm. Originally it was done like this. And then at one season they lost some of it because it had stretched too long. Right, right. And another part, they had actually taken the stuntman scarf and added it onto it. Because, yeah. it, and so the scarf had its own life history. And then I think season 18 is when he got that chenille burgundy wine colored one that yes. is gorgeous. And that is actually the one aesthetically I liked, would like to have made. But chenille is expensive. It's slippery to work with. And that sucker is 22 feet long. And I'm like, no, this is not the one I'm making when I'm making. So I'm going for, a, I think season 13 I actually picked because it was the shortest. Okay. Um, it was like the least, because I think other seasons have, one of the sections is repeated. Yes. And so I was like, yes. okay. So I'm like, no, I'm just going to do this because honestly, a 13 foot long scarf, I want something to be practical because I mean, I'm a nerd I'm fine with showing my nerd flag, but I still want a practical scarf that's not going to be wrapped around my neck several times and then still drag. I have made two Tom Baker scarves. Mm-hmm. One is... 13 feet long. Um, One of the colors is completely wrong, but I made it. And it works beautifully as a table runner. (laughs) And I can't use it for anything else. The other one I made, I I made changes to it. Instead of just being garter stitch Mm -hmm. the the entire way through, I did knit one, purl one ribbing. Because I I want something thicker. 
So I decided to rib it and I cut each section down by half. So I have a six and a half foot scarf rather than a 13 foot scarf, which people still get that it's a, yes. a Tom Baker scarf. They see the colors. The colors and the bands are iconic, so they'll see it and know. Because I think even on like commercially, I've seen ones available that were you know a bit more, they weren't the proper length, they weren't the same width, but, and actually each band was the same length. They just did the colors. I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, no, it, you need some variation in the bands. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other trouble with the Season 18 scarf, there's two sections where you're doing a different color each line. So you're going to have to be, you know, right now it's like, I'm like, oh, new color, snip, work oh, it no, in. Oh, no, 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 don't. No, not for that. For that, I know that you're using all the yarns at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't want to deal with that. I want, I want one ball <laughs> at a time I'm working with. And uh, so, which I can do with, with, you know, the Don Baker, because, you know, even the smallest still have a certain thickness to them. But this one, no, there's sections, a good foot and a half, two feet, that's like one line of the burgundy, two lines of wine, one burgundy, one wine, three burgundy. I'm like, that might just driven me nuts. Well, again. And you just work both colors at the same mm-hmm. time, and, and you just pass it up. Mm-hmm. I did one scarf a while back that was a white a light blue and a dark blue. And I switched off every single line because you can do that with three. With, mm-hmm. with Drew, you you, know, you have to do a back and forth to be able to flip. But with that, I just switched off every single line and it worked and you, you just got used to it. Mm-hmm. And you had to be a little careful that you didn't get too twisted up in yourself. But with me, yeah, I, I just want to do garter stitch and keep it very simple. And, you know, mostly it's a matter of counting and making sure, okay, how many lines do I do this? And Oh God! There's 17 rows of olive coming up. Okay, get ready. But now the tragedy is that I have it all in a bag, and I'm like, yes. And I bought some really beautiful wooden needles, circular needles, yes. for it, and it was wonderful. And then I went last time I went to look at it, one of the needles had snapped. That the stuff was on, and I'm like, oh, I might. Have and then the thought of I've lost stitches is just the right. I was like, I don't even want to look. Okay. I, I, Breathe. Oh, no, no. Breathe it's, in, it's something breathe out. I, all I knew is take it to the yarn store. Oh, so speaking of Threadbare, that wonderful yarn store, it's now gone. Sadness. But some of the instructors have moved on to another store uh, that's in, uh, actually walking distance from Esquire. Yes. Called it, Sticks and Strings on it, Washington Avenue. One, one block, yeah, Washington Avenue, one block south of Grand yeah. Traverse. And I, all I need to do is go there and say, hey, help me, and they will... No matter how many stitches my have fallen or what's happened, they will help me. But And they recommend, if you're in the Lansing area and you knit and you have a project that needs expert help, they would love it if you come in Wednesday night. They are open late on Wednesdays until 8, and they will help get your project back to where it needs to be. I was there recently, and I mentioned your name, and they said they missed you, (laughs) and that you need to come back. I do, because I don't know if I have enough yarn to finish this scarf, and I bought it so long ago that it's like, I'm probably going to have to just figure out a batch or a different brand that is close to the original colors. I should know. I was was really cheap when I made my Tom Baker scarf. Mm -hmm. I used Heart. The, the El Cheapo acrylic, no okay. dye lot. Ah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, yeah, but I no, I went uh, with just what the recommendations on the website were. Uh, worsted wool, you know, just everything, and found colors that were... Close enough. Close. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, they gave the brands and the colors and all that, and I'm like, I don't have that brand. So it's like, oh, but here's all these wonderful worsted wools, and oh, there's the mustard, there's the olive, and it's like, okay, close enough. Again, I thought there is a line where it's like, okay, that past that, it's madness. You know, be like, oh, I must make it like this. And it's like, people will recognize it. Yeah, to, to make, yeah if you want to be 100% authentic, you'd probably have to go to London to buy your yarns. <laughs> but that's a little crazy. Yeah. I did. I remember. I don't, it's probably apocryphal, but the wonderful story of the Tom Baker scarf is that they had a bunch of colors in a bag. They said we want him to wear a scarf. They gave it to a woman who does knitting for shows, and it's like here, here's the colors to use. And she misunderstood and said, "Oh, I need to use all this. I'm not supposed to make a standard scarf." 
they want me and so she knit the entire bag of yarn and that's why it was the thing that it was but who knows if that's true but it's a lovely story and as they say the truth is a poor excuse for lack of imagination well we've run out of time again send your questions comments show ideas dirty pictures and project photos to harryprone at gmail.com or tweet at us, we are at HarryProneComp. Our theme music is Hotline by Ops, used under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We're your hosts, Sir Arcane. Lansing Mike. Wishing you peace, love, and perversion. Good night. Good night.